Several years ago in the great state of Mississippi, there was a young man whose older brother, three years older than him, had been the star running back of the high school football team and had always lived in his brother's shadow. And so instead of going into athletics, this young man decided to go into music and he became a devoted member of the school marching band. His brother graduated uh, after his, this young man was a freshman, his brother was a senior, went on to play college football. And so the coach thinking there may be a genetic link to athleticism, went to see this young man who was a rising sophomore, had never played football before, and said, would you consider coming out for the football team? And he said, coach, I, I will if I can remain in the marching band. And the coach, I don't know how that worked, but with a brilliant, brilliant uh, resolve said, son, if you play football, you can also be in the marching band. And, and he did both. Uh, his senior year, he graduated uh, after a, a wonderful career, recruited by many schools, some major schools. We signed with a small school in his home state of Mississippi, be close to his mama and his friends. And after playing at this small school for four years, um, when the pro draft came, he was the number four individual taken in the first round of the draft from a very small school in Mississippi. He was a incredibly gracious and caring man, and his nickname was Sweetness. And Walter Payton went on to play for the Bears for 12 years, set a, the rushing mark for the most yards ever gained by a running back at that time, almost 17,000 yards playing for the Chicago Bears. And just to remind you of this, this was back in the day when the Bears actually won a couple of football games. They've had a lean, lean run for the last few years. The Walter Payton sweetness. He was um, a man who appreciated his offensive line. In fact, his third year at Chicago, they played in late November in a bitterly cold day against the Minnesota Vikings. The final score was 10 to seven. It was a bruiser of a game. And yet in this game, Walter Payton gained 275 yards, setting the NFL single game rushing mark. The next day, he had a press conference and he awarded his offensive linemen all brand new watches. And it's a statement that how he needed them. See, Walter Payton was brilliant. He understood that no matter how good you are as a running back, you must have teammates to get big defensive linemen and linebackers out of the way so you can run the football. He understood you needed teammates. In fact, Walter Payton would occasionally give gift certificates and, and cards to his uh, offensive lineman, and when he was asked to be on a nationwide TV talk show, he would always request that he bring along one, two, or three offensive linemen to answer questions with him because he realized he couldn't do it without them. He understood the concept of teammates. Walter Payton. Proverbs 13, verse 20 says this, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. We're in the book of Colossians, and we come to this part of the book where if you, your Bible has subheadings, it says final greetings or closing remarks. And it's easy to come to Colossians 4, verse 7, and just kind of just breeze through it and not even read it and say, well, that's, those are closing remarks. But these are, this is an incredibly important passage. In fact, in the chapter 4, Paul has says that, he said, pray for us. Pray for an open door to share the gospel of Christ. He goes on, he says, he says, Pray that I will make the gospel clear as I should. Verse 5, he says, 
conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, he says, and make the most of your opportunity. He says in verse 6, let your speech be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you may know how to respond to everyone. So, so the reason Paul says, I want you to pray for me, and I want you to have gracious speech, and I want you to be people who make the most of your opportunities, because Paul has surrounded himself with teammates who lived this way. Paul was part of a team of men who went forward in the name of Christ. And so as, as I look at this, I ask this to, at our, to our men, that man-to-man occasion on Friday mornings. I say, who are your two o'clock in the morning Waffle House friends? Now, Waffle House is open 365, 24 hours a day. Who do you call at two o'clock in the morning when your world becomes very difficult to embrace? And that will happen. Who, who are the people that are your, your go-to people? And, and here's a principle you cannot deny. If, if you, as a Christ follower, a believer, have people around you who are cross-centered, Christ-driven, and they love the reality of Christ, and they're pursuing the Lord, then, then you will flourish to a degree. But if you're surrounded by people who are cynical and uncaring, and they're not committed to the things of God, and they're, 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 everything is always negative, and the glass is always half full, it's hard to soar. One version of Proverbs 13, 20 says, it's, it's hard to soar with the eagles when you live with turkeys. It's true. So who are your friends? Who are the people that you call? There's some verses in the worship guide from the book of Proverbs. Let me just read them. I've already read Proverbs 13, 20, who walks with wise men will be wise. Proverbs 18, verse 24, a man of many companions may come to a ruin, but there is a friend who will stick closer than a brother. It's easy to have a lot of people you wave to and give thumbs up to and say, how you doing? But the, the, the Proverbs says, but there is a friend, a cohort of friends, a small, that will stick closer to you than even your brother. Proverbs 17, verse 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, thick and thin, thriving, non-thriving, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 27, verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend and profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful, faithful are the wounds of, of a friend. Who are your two o'clock in the morning friends? I want to introduce you this morning and next week to Paul's teammates, the men that he surrounded himself with. Paul was in a damp Roman prison. He's about a year and a half from being executed, we think. He's under arrest. He's languishing physically. He's writing to a church that he had never met before. And he's extolling them to walk strong in faith. And Paul is able to bear this burden and to live this way because he has teammates who walk with him. One of the great errors of our thinking is that we believe the Christian faith is a solitary sport. That is just a lie. The Christian faith is a team sport. That's why I love team sports. And I'm not speaking ill of tennis or golf or distance running. They're all great sports. But I love people understanding I can't pull this off without teammates. So listen to an accounting of Paul's teammates. Tychicus, verse 7. 
Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you in your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful, beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. These two brothers are faithful, Christ-focused, gospel-saturated, Great Commission-looking people. I've had the privilege of two times now standing in a small graveyard in Sarampur, India, north of Calcutta, where the Sarampur trio is buried. William Carey, Joshua Marshman, and William Ward. William Carey, the father of modern-day missions, who died in 18 and 34, the age of 72, and his grave is covered with an etching that says, William Carey, a pitiful worm upon thy kind arms I fall. Because the years of his life. Uh, so you stand there, and here's, here's a faithful brother. And then over here, as you face that, behind me is Joshua Marshman and Hannah Marshman. Joshua was part of the Sarampur trio. Joshua Marshman died when he was 79, one year before William Carey. And Joshua Marshman and his wife Hannah had 12 children. Only five lived to be adults. They go to India, and when they get to India, they've got William Carey, whose wife Dorothy Plackett is losing her mind. She, she, she went crazy. And they had to restrain her with a leather straps on, in her chair. That, that's why they did it back those days. And they had four boys who were wild, unruled, undisciplined boys, and Hannah Marshman raised the boys of William Carey. Dorothy Plackett died a few years later. They're just a faithful people. And then over here to my left is a guy named William Ward who died at the age of 53, the first one to die. And, and, and they're, they're just, just this little, little graveyard, the weeds have overgrown. And I'm just thinking, he, he, these men were just faithful unto God. And as Paul describes Tychicus and Onesimus, he, he says, quite frankly, he says they, they were men who were, who were just faithful brothers, beloved brothers, fellow servants in the Lord. He does not say, church, look at Tychicus and Onesimus faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive. They would leap tall buildings at a single bound. He said they were, they were faithful, Christ-saturated men who walked with the Lord. So we're going to look at these guys briefly. Tychicus, three descriptive phrases. First of all, a beloved brother. Now, not a beloved friend. See that? Beloved brother. In other words, his identification is in Christ. He points people to Christ. Not a beloved cohort, beloved brother in the Lord. A beloved brother. The word for beloved means to be cherished or prized. To be esteemed. He says this, he's a faithful minister. He's faithful. Now, I was nurtured in a ministry called the Navigators, and their verse for their ministry is 2 Timothy 2, 2. Verse 1 says, you, my son, be strong in the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. Verse 2, and the things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so 
to my knowledge, we never really defined, I, we assume people understood what the word faithful meant from Scripture. But let me tell you what it means. Faithful means one who inspires trust. Faithful means worthy of requiring responsibility. Did you hear that? Worthy of requiring responsibility that they're just they're there. If they are going to a 7.30 meeting, they're there at 7.28. If they're supposed to do A, they're there, they're, they do A. If, if you tell a faithful person, can you do this, you check it off the list. It's, it's a, you don't worry about it. I've always been impressed by the, what James says in James chapter 5. Kind of the, He's closing his letter. He's giving these parting exhortations. And, and, and he says this. But, but verse 12, but above all, my brothers, do not swear or take oaths, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I thought, you know, every time I read it, I think, boy, if I were writing this letter, of course, James is inspired by the Holy Spirit, I don't, I don't think I'd say, above all, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I mean, there's a hundred ways I would end that little statement. But what James is saying is, be faithful. Be faithful. Be someone who is worthy of requiring responsibility. A faithful minister. The word for minister means to attend to the needs of others. In other words, not, not, again, not, not a faithful friend, a faithful minister is cross-driven, Christ-centered. I ask myself, am I a Tychicus? Thirdly, a fellow servant. Just a fellow servant. Just a servant of Christ. And then he says this, he says, you know, I'm sending Tychicus to you for the express purpose of telling you how things are going and that he may encourage your hearts. That he may come beside you and build you up. It means to give emotional support to. That's why he's coming. He's going to give you emotional support and walk with you and encourage you and build you up. And I, I, I just, Tychicus. Beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant. I, I think if we met Tychicus, we would be pretty unimpressed. He's just a normal guy who is faithful. He probably went around humming the equivalent of, oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. He gloried in the cross. He relished the uniqueness and the mercy of Jesus. He had discovered like the rest of Paul's teammates, that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Chapter 2, verse 3, and he was glad in the Lord. And I say, Lord, let me be a Tychicus. Let me know. I know, I know a lot of people, oh, a lot of you guys are Tychicus to me, a teammate. And, and as I reflect on Tychicus, I... I wonder, you know, I've just asked these questions. And when it comes to, really, to esteeming people, 
do I prize people who are faithful and gracious to me? Do I prize them? Do I make time for them? You know, I got to tell you, how many times do I say to people, hey, let's get lunch sometime, and it never happens. I kind of want to, but do I make time for friends? Do I esteem them? See, here's my huge, huge application. Get in a small group. Get in a small group of Tychicus wannabes and Onesipus wannabes and, and walk with them, whether it's man-to-man or the women's ministry or a wonderful community group. So get in a small group and, and, and get to know each other and pray for each other and, and esteem each other. And if you walk with Tychicus-like people, your heart will sing. Uh, you know, it says encourage your hearts. So I've thought, what does that mean, encourage your hearts? And here's kind of what I think it means. Tychicus goes to the church at Colossae. They're going through a lot of issues, all this false teaching coming in from every different direction. Maybe even people in the church that were just off, off the wall crazy and not doing the right thing. And, and it's easy just to get... get inwardly focused, and they're saying, Tychicus, we're just not doing well. And Tychicus says, you know, let me give you a verse from the Old Testament. It says in Isaiah 58, verse 10, says, if you give yourself to the hungry and you satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness and your gloom will become like the midday. Now, listen to me. There are people here who are going through deep depression. A number of people. And I've had friends say to me, I pray you'll never have to walk through the black veil of depression. I know that, and there, there's a, medicine is required. I, I fully, so I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to people who just go through a, a stage where it's just not going great. And, and our culture says, look inside. Our culture says, do your own thing. Our culture says, you know, do, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, if you want to recover from the blahs, serve people. If you want to recover from the blahs, work in the nursery. If you want to recover from the blahs, do something for somebody else. Because if you do, your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like the midday. I heard a testimony last week. It was an incredible testimony of a young guy. When he was a young guy, he's now an older man, but he said he was in, he was in a Christian school in high school, and his, his senior year, the, the assignment was to visit. If you visit two shut-ins, then you can get out of school at lunch on Friday and don't have to go to afternoon classes. He said, count me in. Praying the whole time that the shut-ins would not be there. They'd be out doing aerobics or whatever a shut-in does, you know. And so he said they go to the house, of this a little cinder block house attached to the home of her, her grandson. Knocks on the door. The boy says, come in, and there's this old lady, this, in a wheelchair, this homebound, and he starts talking to her, and she's just vibrant in the Lord. And as they get ready to leave, he says, can I pray for you? And she, she, she prayed heaven down. I'm a senior in high school, and I left thinking, I've never been prayed for like that. And the next week I thought, I wonder how old Miss Watt is doing. So he goes by knocks on the door. They become fast friends. And she prays for him every day until she dies five years later. And he said, that woman changed my life. So I think Tychicus would say, hey, man, get outside of yourself. Get involved in the Great Commission movement. Get involved with people. Love them. Give, go along beside people and give them emotional support, and you'll get it back. And then he just mentions Onesimus, and he uses the same words for Onesimus. He says, Onesimus, my faithful and beloved brother. 
Same concept. Faithful and beloved. Someone that is cherished and prized. He's beloved. My faithful, worthy of trust and responsibility. Just a faithful and beloved brother. And I was, I was thinking about this and I was reviewing one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 16. And I thought, I, I need to be around Psalm 16 people and I need to be a Psalm 16 person. It's one of my favorite Psalms. And the psalmist says this, uh, preserve me, O Lord, for in you I take refuge. I will say to the Lord Adonai, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the Saints in the land, as far as your people, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The, the, the sorrows of those who run after other gods shall multiply. I will not pour out their libations of blood and worship. I will not even take their name upon my lips because the Lord God is my refuge. He's my cup. He is he, is, he holds my lot. And then verse 6. It's a great verse. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Behold, I have a beautiful inheritance. I, I, as I meditate on this passage, I say, does verse 6 come first? Or does verse 6 come after you walk through verses 1 to 5? I don't know. But let me tell you this. If somebody is a Tychicus type person, they stand up and say, listen. Oh, God. Preserve me, for in you I take refuge. God, I cannot pull this off apart from your grace. So preserve me. And so I'm saying to my Lord, you are my Lord. And when I love the Lord, I love his people. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Not only that, he says, just a pragmatically observable statement. The sorrows of those who run after other gods shall multiply. I will not pour out their libations of blood. I won't even take their name upon my lips. Because the Lord, the Lord God, is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. And then he blows, he just, just pushes it out. All the lines have fallen from me in pleasant places. I have a beautiful inheritance. Let me tell you something. If, if you walk with the knowledge that God is God and he's good and he loves you and if you love the people of God and if you are very clear about not taking the, the Lord's name in vain or making idols in your life and when you look pragmatically around you and you say, you know, here are people who are more gifted than I am and they've got more money than I do and they've got a better education than I do but their, their lives are, 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 are imploding and here I'm just a simple guy and I just read the Bible and I'm, and I'm an obedient disciple and yet God is blessing me. Wow. Do you ever stop and say, man, the, the lines have fallen from me in pleasant places? Do you look at your spouse if you're married? You look at your friends, you look at your kids, and you go, wow. See, that, that's, that's a Tychicus-type mentality. So I'll say it once again. Application. Get involved in a small group with Tychicus-type people. Onesimus type people. Man, you need it. You need teammates. So I thought about this, and this is my application. This is kind of peril and silly, but this is what I'm going to say. So it's so easy to get together with, with, with delightful people and talk about sports, and 
what's going to happen in two weeks. And politics and the weather and things in general. And never really talk about the things of the Lord. And I do that frequently. And I'm not saying do this with every conversation, but as you're together with people and developing friendships, and I'm going to give you a little acrostic just to, just to think through. Next time you're talking with people, P-R-E-P. P stands for your inner man, your person. Just say, how, how are you doing? How's, how's, your, how's, your, how's your inner man? Um, tell me what's going on. R stands for relationships. How are your relationships? How, if you're married, how's your, how's your, how's your marriage? Or how, how are your kids? Or how, how are your coworkers? And how are these relationships? Are you, you, you feel like you're making headway? Are you trying to, to represent Christ in the marketplace? I mean, your relationships. E stands for edifying or building up. So you ask each other, what, what's, what's building you up? What are you reading? See, everybody should be reading the Bible. Now, if you ask me, what are you reading? Right now, I'm reading in my daily Bible reading the book of Luke and Job. I just finished Esther, which is really fun. And now you hit Job. i got to be honest with you. When I hit Job, I always go, ooh. Because Job, Job is just a hard book for me. I always come away from Job with one lesson. Make sure your friends aren't totally stupid. That's my, that's my takeaway from Job. And so uh, I read the book of Job, and I'm, that's what I'm reading right now. But then you say, well, man, you know, if, if, if you, if you, are you reading a book outside of the Scripture that's really building you up and, and strengthening? We need to ask those questions because that's who we are. And P is how can I pray for you? It's just simple. How can I pray for you? So that, that, that's it. Be a Tychicus. Be an Onesimus. Being a group of Tychicuses or Onesimuses. So I go into something now, church, um, that has to do with being a faithful man or woman. And it's going to be a, a, a something from our news. And there are children here, so I'm going to substitute words that are uh, potentially offensive with words that I hope are not too offensive. This is what happens in a culture of information. I think overload. A significant story will hit and it'll be on our radar for five or 10 or 15 minutes. Then the next significant story hits and, and by the next day you, you haven't forgotten, but it's just this, what I'm telling you today should be burned into our minds. This week, the front page of the Wall Street Journal and every other major newspaper in America carried an article about a report from the grand jury in Pennsylvania regarding abuse in the Roman Catholic Church. Now, I'm not here to bash Roman Catholics, okay? But I'm going to say some pretty strong things. So I don't want to be offensive. I'm going to be honest. Wall Street Journal cover story, cover page says that their cover-up hid hundreds of abusive priests, a scathing 884-page Grand jury report details widespread abuse of boys and girls dating to the 1940s in the state of Pennsylvania. It goes on and says, the Pennsylvania grand jury's report said the roughly two-year inquiry found that bishops in the dioceses, six of the eight in Pennsylvania, kept abuse complaints in a secret archives locked in their offices and the church officials regularly placed priests in ministry even after learning of allegations against them. The Allentown Diocese, Pennsylvania, said the allegations in the report are abhorrent and tragic. 
The report says, we apologize to everyone who's been hurt by the past actions of some members of the clergy. We know that these past actions have caused pain and distrust. For many people, the victims and survivors of abuse are in our prayers daily. Now, I'm going to talk about the issue of mistrust. I read this, and as a parent or a grandparent, I ask, who can we trust? So I'm just going to read a few paragraphs from various newspapers and articles. This is from the National Review. I find it impossible not to notice that these expressions of sorrow by the Catholic Church never arrive before the courts or the state's attorneys general or the local press arrive on the scene. The fact gives you another idea about what causes the bishop's sorrow. From the New York Times. Desperate, excuse me, despite some institutional reform, individual leaders of the church have largely escaped public accountability, so says the grand jury. Furthermore, quote, priests were abusing little boys. They didn't use the word abuse. They used a much stronger word. You read this stuff and you just... Priests were abusing little boys and girls. And the men of God who were responsible for them not only did nothing, they hid it and for decades. Later in the New York Times, church officials followed a playbook for concealing the truth. The grand jury said minimizing abuse by using words like inappropriate contact instead of a stronger word. Moving priests from parish Parish. Now, there's a man named Hugh Hewitt. I like him. I've read his, three of his books. He writes a column every day. Um, I, I like his podcast. But yesterday or Friday, he came out with an article saying, listen, uh, don't, don't let the press overstate this. The church is trying to make corrections. It just is a long process. I categorically reject what he says. I reject it. I don't think the church has addressed this. I think this has been going on. Let me just burn this in your brain. 300 priests abusing children over 70 years. And it's been well over. It's been 1,000 plus, plus, plus children. Many will not come forward. Just 300 priests. And we've known for years that what they do is they just move one priest from this parish to that parish. And let me say this. Please hear me. We have a zero tolerance in this church. If there is ever anything like this, that person will be defrocked, disbarred, escorted from the property, and put under church discipline that moment. We will not in any way stand by why our most treasured possession, our children, are abused. The Washington Post quotes a man who was abused. He says, this is the murder of a soul. It's a great statement. State Representative Mark Rosie, a Democrat in Pennsylvania, told the Washington Post in an interview that he was, again, abused, a different word was used, by a priest at his Catholic school in Berks County, Pennsylvania, the same priest, sexually abused one of his childhood friends who never got over it and killed himself in the year 2009. So, 
Uh, the, the, the National Review article closed like this, which I thought this is a great closing. The writer says, we hear, quote, we are deeply saddened, close quote, they say. He says this, spare us this fake public relations drivel. We don't need your sadness. We don't need your policies. We need better men. Hear that? Better men. We need Tychicuses and Onesimus and Carries and Marshmen and Wards and like many of the men and women sitting here who are faithful unto the Lord and they're driven by the glory of the God. They're, they're cross-centered. They're Jesus-saturated. And so I, I say that, that this passing on to the next generation is an incredible charge and, and, and we've got to embrace it. I thank God for our children's ministry and Steve Tuck. I thank God for our middle school and high school ministries. I thank God for uh, campus outreach, Matt Reagan and his team. I thank God for these people because this, this is the next generation.